Want more mindfulness exercises, wind downs, and sleep content for kids? Download Headspace today. Ronitha Roy was in college, but she still slept at home, in the same bedroom she'd slept in since she was a child. She's from Andul, a town outside of Calcutta in West Bengal, India. Andul is sleepy and lush, with decrepit, grand old buildings, a crumbling ancient temple, a local palace overgrown with greenery. It's a place ripe with the suggestion of memories, of ghosts. People from there, they don't necessarily leave. And so it was in Ronita's familiar childhood bedroom that the first attack happened. I was sleeping and suddenly I thought that I, I was awake, but I was not. And it's also strange feelings because I thought that I already awake, I can see my room. And um, I was seeing some like shadow and very, very uh, horrible, you know, features like uh, ghost kind of features. And I, I thought that it's a bad dream. She wasn't awake, but she wasn't asleep. Something was in the room. She tried to run to her mom's room down the hall. But I couldn't. And maybe it's a, like one or two seconds. I don't know how, how long it's that episode was. But after that, I, I actually woke up. I, I saw that I'm in my bed. And I was so scared. And I, when I lighted up, I, I at the room I saw that nothing is there. And I went to my mom, you know, mom's room. I t- I told her that uh, you know uh, this kind of things happen. And she was like, "Oh, it's a bad dream. You know, uh, maybe you are watching uh, too much uh, uh, like horror movies." I used to watch lots of horror movies. Uh, and she was like, "Okay, you can sleep. You know, in, in, with me." And so after that, I was so scared that I think six, seven days I didn't sleep uh, in my room. Six or seven days when she didn't watch horror movies, when she slept with her mom. And the strange experience, that feeling that another creature entered her room, that feeling that she couldn't move even though she tried, it didn't return. She went every day to the local college. She was studying biology attempting to understand the world through logic. And in this way, a single week passed. Things felt calmer. She returned to her own bedroom. Then, that first night back... Again, I I sleep in my um, uh, room, and again, it happened. So it only happened when you were in your room. It didn't happen when you slept in your mother's room? if, if If I sleep with anyone, it never happened. It had only been a brief reprieve, that week spent in her mom's room. After her return to her bedroom, the attacks kept happening, over and over, the same sensation. Someone is, like, you know, grabbing my neck. And when I when I feel that, I was, suddenly I wake up, I'm like, I was checking my whole room and I'm like, nothing is there. And I'm like, oh, oh God, again is happening. She tried to talk to her friends at school about it, but they would laugh and say she was having bad dreams. 
I I stopped talking to anyone about uh, these feelings because I thought that you know no one is believing me uh, believing me so what uh, I shouldn't tell anyone maybe it's a bad dream I should control myself you know I, I tried to control my uh, mind but it was like I, I cannot then one night she had an especially startling episode the presence was in the room but she felt it on her more intensely than usual she describes feeling violated, disturbed to her core, by this creature that lay on her chest. I mean, after that night, I was very scared. And when I, you know, uh, checked my room, everything, it was like locked uh, from, um, um, all the door was locked. And um, I, I thought that I shouldn't sleep during the night because I understood uh, by that time that is happened between 2 to 4 a.m. So I will not sleep during this time. I will awake, I will do my work. I know that if I uh, sleep, it, it will happen. I was uh, very sure about that. She stayed up during the risky hours from 2 to 4 a.m. She'd study or draw. She liked art. When she did sleep, she'd lay on her side She'd noticed the attacks happened when she was on her back. She was tired during the days and isolated. Then, one day, she spoke to her grandmother, who offered an explanation. In Bengali culture, uh, we called Bobaidhara, uh, means some ghost is like attacking you. So I was more scared after hearing that. Bobaidhara, or ghost attack, that was the diagnosis Ronita received. And it only served to scare her more. I mean, it felt real. It felt like this conversation we're having now in terms of the vividness of it. On a different continent, a few years before, a young man named Balan Jalal experienced something strange in his bedroom. He was 18. He lived with his family in a refugee camp in Copenhagen, a tough, bustling place with people from all over. His family had fled Kurdistan. One night, a ghost seemed to arrive in his bedroom. It seemed to want him to die. My words wouldn't go beyond my throat. And then I saw my legs, and this is where it got really shocking. I saw my legs being pulled up and down, and I felt there was this ghost, Malika. It was really, really, really powerful. He decided not to tell anyone about the experience. He doubted they'd believe him. But that brush with death changed him. He started to study hard, to focus in school. At some level, he wondered if he could decode through books what exactly happened to him. I mean, I went from having the worst grades to suddenly going to, to university and just being, you know, just studying things and publishing papers and getting straight A's just like a, just because this was interesting. In Andol, the attacks continued for years, off and on in Ronita's bedroom. She feared them but she also had some sense that she'd survive them. She finished college. She'd thought she would take a job in the sciences, but instead she found herself drawn to taking photographs of the local greenery, of the birds, the plants, with a small, cheap camera. I used to go out with my brother and I used to take pictures of butterfly, you know, like flower, raindrops, like very... Uh, those things, you know, and uh, that's how I started. She won a local competition. 
found a mentor in one of the judges who encouraged her, taught her the workings of a DSLR camera. One day, she entered an international competition. She'd forgotten she'd entered until she got a call. They were inviting her to a festival for selected winners. She'd never left India, never even left her town. No one in her family had either. But she'd gotten a passport a few days before, on the advice of her mentor. So off she went. She would be sleeping outside her childhood home for the first time in her life. And I thought that if I am in my only only in my room, this will happen. I never expected that I am outside and it will happen. She had nighttime protocol. Stay awake during the dangerous hours, sleep on your side. But that first night in a beautiful hotel in Dubai, she forgot her rules. Slept without ghosts on the mind. Relaxed. Around 3.30 a.m., an attack occurred. She felt pressure on her chest. Felt someone in the room. Whatever the force was that visited her, it wasn't restricted to her bedroom in Andul. The next day, she spoke to a friend she'd made at the festival, a young Muslim man who spoke Hindi. I told him that, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm getting this kind of dream again and again, and he was like, it's, it's not good uh, in, in our culture, like in his culture, it's called jinn. And after hearing uh, from him, I was more scared. He told her to be careful, that what she was experiencing was an attack of a jinn or genie. Ronita googled the word, and the images she saw terrified her even more of villainous, grinning faces, swirling incandescent bodies, straight out of a fairy tale. Ronita is drawn to anything to do with mystery. Things that are inexplicable but still seem to happen. Alien visitations. Supernatural occurrences. One day, when she was back in Andul browsing YouTube, a suggested video popped up. A documentary from National Geographic called The Entity. She began to watch it, and a feeling of familiarity crept over her. The documentary was about people around the world who experienced attacks at night. They actually interviewed a few people, and someone... um Someone telling uh, stories that how it feels. And I'm like, okay, exactly this is happening to me. The documentary offered her yet another name for this condition. Sleep paralysis. There were scientists studying it. There was a biological explanation. When we sleep, our body and our mind switched off our ability to move. And during sleep paralysis, what happened... uh, Your mind wake up, but your body don't. And that's why those hallucinations started. Armed with the term, Ronita began Googling sleep paralysis. She found comforting explanations to do with the body's immobility during REM, a dyssynchrony in the brain that allows hallucinations to occur. I don't want to believe in supernatural things. I want to uh, hear like, in a scientific way, 
so when i hear it from like scientists and you know there are scientific explanation that uh, that our body switched off our ability to move and all you can say i was more comfortable but at the same time something was missing the scientific explanation didn't fully capture the feelings of the attack she felt very distinctly the presence of something else in the room her own spirit seemed to separate from her physical self during some episodes the ability she had to sense an external presence to understand the nature of beings outside her physical body it was eerie distinct i mean till now i want to uh, understand and want to like believe in scientific explanation but when i have sleep paralysis till now i am like no it's not a, you know it's it's something else it's something else till now i i feel it's it's very difficult the subjective experience is so powerful and it's so it's so strong that it just makes you question everything balanth he's now a neuroscientist his sudden burst of academic interest after that very first attack it led him to earn some serious credentials i'm a neuroscientist uh, at harvard university and uh, i'm also a visiting researcher at cambridge uh, university in the uk his primary interest the thing he's really known for is his work on sleep paralysis he's basically the world's leading expert in it quoted in most articles to do with it He's traveled all over the world to research how it manifests. He's heard many names for it across cultures, and he can tell you certain hallmarks of the condition wherever it's found. A feeling of pressure on the chest, an inability to move, footsteps, a sense of pure evil present in the room. If you can take evil, all the evil that exists, the the, the very concept of e- evil, right, and put it into one thing, you, that would be it. It's just concentrated evil, and you just wonder how can your brain create concentrated evil all at once? And then there are the episodes where your own body just seems to separate from itself, where you beam out what looks like an astral body, a spirit, a soul. I've seen myself floating just outside my body maybe having a conversation with myself and typically I remember it was something like who's the real me who's the real Balan So it's in a class of its own it's not a dream it's not a drug induced trip but it's kind of maybe closer to that than a dream it sounds like more than a trip than a dream yes sleep paralysis is almost like a dream uh, leaking in or spilling over into wakefulness or nightmare but it's more than that Like Ronita Balan sees limitations to the scientific view because there's a mystery that pervades these nighttime experiences an otherworldliness that seems to transcend what we are currently able to explain even though and this is here that this is where i um if i were to speculate i would say look I mean, you can explain it in terms of the brain what's going on in the hallucinations but can you be 100% sure that there's no other energies from other dimensions going on can you be 100% sure of that and as an honest scientist i would say no i can't be 100% sure of that coming up 
Ronita confronts some demons. Hi, my name is Kay Songa, and I'm a mindfulness and meditation instructor at Headspace. And today I want to talk to you about stress, sleep, and the concept of the ever-present blue sky. The blue sky represents the innate calm and ease that is always there within us, but is often blocked out by our emotions, frenzied thoughts, or stress, which is represented by the clouds. It's not until we're able to clear out the clouds that we will be able to see and feel the beautiful blue sky again. And we have to trust and know that the blue sky is always there, even if we can't see it right now. The practice is to pause and get back in touch with it, knowing that it's always there. You can learn more about the blue sky in my basics course, where I guide you through the foundations of mindfulness and meditation and how it can help manage stress, improve sleep, and overall well-being. Allow yourself to head to the App Store and download the Headspace app today. Hope to see you there. I was very scared to uh, show this work to editors <laughs> because, you know, I saw I thought that no one will believe uh, again, and because it's a professional. Uh, place right it's not a um so i thought that you know if i show this work to everyone and i don't know how they will react a few years ago ronita was selected for a big opportunity called the new york times portfolio review she headed to new york city where a bevy of editors would peruse hers and other photographers work and hidden amidst her portfolio was this one series she'd started to do she was trying to capture the feeling of what it was like to have an attack. The photographs are moody and striking, with imagery that looks cut from some ghoulish medical manual. One photo shows a baby in a jar. Another closes in on her eyes. She was embarrassed by this series. It seemed too personal, too out there. But then one editor stopped at them. He asked her questions, and when she explained the backstory, he seemed excited. He said, Okay, uh, the same thing is happening to my son. I'm like, oh, okay. And I never expected that from him. I thought that, you know, again, I will, uh, he will react in the same way. But he was like, he was very excited. He told me that I uh, would love to, you know, publish this work as cover story. Then more offers came, all for this series. Eventually, she got a call from the Big Kahuna, an editor at the New York Times. She said yes, and this series she'd been so embarrassed by was suddenly in the Times. She received comments, letters from around the world. She decided to create more photographs. Her focus is on a few things. She tries to approximate what the attacker looks like, but also to capture the perspective of the victim the person locked in paralysis. During the attack, but also after, when you start to doubt your own sense of reality because no one else believes you. He was struggling with something which is not really there. And after uh, the thing happened, you are struggling with your 
what happened you are constantly thinking of this and you are kind of no maybe it's a no maybe it's a bad dream sleep paralysis from a neuroscientific perspective is unique the brain is not activated in the way of a dreaming person or an awake person which is why perhaps a close analog is to a psychedelic experience the state of mind of someone who's taken hallucinatory drugs. And just as you can have good trips or bad trips on psychedelics, you can theoretically have good episodes of sleep paralysis or bad ones, according to Baland. So I've heard people talk about angels or, you know, divine visions and Abrahamic visions. People take drugs to understand a divine source, to know the meaning of life better. That's why people take them, right? You feel one with the universe. You feel your, your, your ego dissolving and all, all that stuff. For the most part, though, the condition thrives off the negative matter in life. Baland likens it to a virus that mutates and demands certain conditions. Consider the parts of the world where people speak of ghosts, as Ronita's grandmother did, of genies, as her friend did where the concept of what is happening ties directly to the supernatural. Balan's research shows that in these regions, the episodes are more virulent. They seem to grow in that atmosphere. So we compared sleep paralysis in Egypt to Denmark, for example, right? So you have Egypt where people say, well, this is for certain, for, you know, for sure a jinn that attacks you, do all these things to you. A lot of people say that. And then in Denmark, people say, well, it's largely stress and anxiety and stuff like that. I don't really believe in anything beyond that. And you find that in Egypt, those who have sleep paralysis have it three times more often. In those cultures, you will see excessive fear of the experience. So people will fear dying from it. And that kind of fear can sort of lead to the experience becoming prolonged and more salient, more powerful. So the experience is actually, their, or their perceptual experience of it, is, is that it lasts for much longer. And beyond that, it also seems that they have it much more frequently. Then there's something known as top-down imagery, a phenomenon wherein the brain colors a vision according to expectation. In parts of the world where a story about a ghost exists, people's brains are primed to see ghosts. And so ghosts spring forth in their hallucinations. Whereas in some other part of the world, based on other suggestions, other visions arise. A witch in Italy, a dwarf in South Africa. And that's why you find in certain cultures that, you know, whether it's uh, in Italy, people see witches that looks look a certain way. In uh, South Africa, it's uh, small demons called the tokoloshe dwarf, like creep magical creatures sent by the person that does witchcraft. And so there's some cultural uniqueness to the experience. Your brain can certainly create these sort of from imagination and expectation. It's spreading among the people, and they are creating a social cultural framework for it so it can sort of flourish and happen much more in a certain way. For every study conclusion, though, there's someone whose story doesn't fit all the terms. Ronita, she's someone with multiple explanations for what's happening to her, at her fingertips, in her brain. Sleep paralysis, gins, ghosts, yet she pretty much always sees a human figure who approaches softly. It's a 
male figure it's not a female figure and all the time i can say it it is trying to scare me or trying all the time i feel i'll i will die it this is the last time it's, it feels like that with the help of her brother she stages her photographs she's working on a new series in color the idea she says is to provide some evidence in a way to help her fellow sufferers people don't believe things what they can see they can they like they don't want to believe uh, you know some things and most of the people they are not that curious to know what is going on but there are many people who will try to know you know it, maybe it's not real i'm telling you is maybe it's not real maybe maybe it's a bad dream maybe but um, people are afraid to talk about things which which is not really obvious so like any other uh, so in any other you can see any other mental health issues you cannot see really depression you see you, you will never see if uh, people are normal people they are having nowadays most of the people they are having depression but they don't know but if you talk to some other people you will realize okay what is happening so it's more about conversation starting a conversation it's not about i'm trying to you know that you should believe no you maybe you are not believing but um, i mean there should be a like free space where people can express themselves so many experiences in life are invisible so many are hard to explain and then they are disbelieved sometimes by the people closest to you actually there there is a, a one girl and she told me that her partner is not believing in her and she is having difficulties in her relationship because of this because she is trying to tell him every day but he is not believing and because of this their relationship also suffering so that that is the problem when mm-hmm. when you, your close one is not believing in you and they actually don't talk about it where where that you know those people go and who will will they tell um, if their close one is kind of you know they don't understand for a while the episodes went away for ronita the act of creating photographs seemed to quiet them but they've started to creep back and sometimes to gather material Ronita does something kind of curious, unexpected. She thinks hard about the condition. She talks about it. Yeah. Even even till now I know that maybe you know if I am uh, I'm uh, making any photograph tomorrow I will do something today so that I can get sleep paralysis so that I can have like Okay. Really, you bring it on a little bit so that you can do yeah. the photographs. Yeah, now while I'm trying to like, because I need more clear visualization, more clear. Oh my gosh! <laughs> no, it's I know it's funny. <laughs> I know it's funny, but uh, yeah, like you are telling that um, I need more clear visualization. I need you need more, more material. You I gotta need, see it yeah. again. <laughs> You're like a reporter. You have to go back out into the battlefield. Yeah, otherwise, and... otherwise, it's kind of it's, it's if it's not happening, 
you will forget all the feelings you will never feel that fear how we, how you can recreate if you are not feeling Baland he also induces sleep paralysis in himself his reason is that he's trying to develop a therapy to help people so he studies from the inside I thought look you have these few minutes of conscious awareness right you are consciously aware you can sort of you're perceptually aware of your surroundings you have cognition for a little while there can you sort of exploit that you know that little window of of agency that you're experiencing and so i the way i thought about it was so if you can sort of take the panic out of the experience that's one of the things by telling yourself that you know once it occurs and once it hits right once it strikes can you tell yourself well this is just sleep paralysis sort of remind your brain you know that this is being sleep paralysis and then sort of emotionally and psychologically distancing yourself from it by saying look given that it's just sleep paralysis there's no reason for me to be fearful even though i i should be scared this is kind of scary right it feels scary but people have lo- have it all around the world but you would say this in a simplified version and then and then the key thing you would do is that you would put all your attention and i think this is the key part of the the solution is that you put all your attention on something very very positive your brain has unlimited attentional resources meaning you can only attend to so many things in your environment at one time and so if you can potentially just put all your attention on something positive but in a in a voluntary way so for some people that means thinking uh, like saying a prayer believe it or not i found that all over the world when people were praying it actually helped them it brought a lot of relief for a lot of people by praying and and by saying prayers and chanting prayers With control, new avenues of study open up. Big questions. After all, if a prayer can redirect an experience, does that mean anything about divinity? Baland, he's achieved a certain level of control himself. He's able to become somewhat lucid these days, and he told me about a particular episode where he was aware enough to attempt an experiment. This wasn't one of those terrifying episodes where a demon arrives, where a ghost tries to kill you. This was one of the good ones. He'd separated from his own body. I sort of left my physical body. So it's one of those non-frightening experiences and and I tell you it's become much more non-frightening over the years because of these 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 tricks that I do uh, that I try to use. So I left my physical body kind of so to speak and I was walking around almost like a this astronaut on a moon expedition you know walking and you're kind of like floating and I was uh, half floating gravity is not the same as earth I'm walking around and then I thought hmm what if I take a piece of paper right now and put it in my my pajamas or you know my my blue pajamas uh, pants He put a piece of paper in his astral body's pajama pants pocket. In the morning, when he checked his own pocket, it wasn't there. Still, life is an experiment. He's not a paranormal researcher. He's not an exorcist. The work to understand what all can be done and what all is happening, it lies in the hands of a lot of people, according to him. You know, some researchers researchers would say people that study stuff like that, you know, maybe look down upon them, say what are you doing, man? That's just crazy. Don't don't study that. That's not true. I'm actually not like that. I'd love for people to be able to show something like that. I mean, I'd be thrilled 
how fascinating if that was actually proven. You know, that would change the way that science is, is done and, and you know, our whole paradigm, you know, view of the world would change. Ronita has never felt like an astronaut during an episode, but she does like for the moon to be out when she stages her photographs. She waits for the rainy season. All of these conditions aid her work. She fears her visitor, but she invites him in. She's working towards something. She has a purpose. Or maybe it's just that she has something to figure out, like Baland. They were given a mystery. It dropped down onto them into their bedrooms. And it may never be solved, but they can keep working on describing it in their own ways. I think uh, art is born out of, like, when uh, your life is not completed in a way, like, you feel some absence, some something, something absent. Longing. Or, yeah, some... longing, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Then you create art. Next time on Hibernation, why we dream. Hibernation is brought to you by Headspace Studios in partnership with Spoke Media. If you're enjoying the show, please rate, review, and follow us in Apple Podcasts. It helps people find the show. Our show is written and hosted by me, Malika Rao. We're produced by senior producer James Kim, with help from myself, Erica Huang, Brigham Mosley, Damira Pierre, and research by Hannah Ray Montgomery. Our coordinating producer is Sharita Lynn Solis, with additional production help from Cody Hoffmachel, Kelly Kolf, Evan Arnett, and Will Short. Original music and sound design by Erica Huang, with engineering by ABF Creative. Additional music from Firstcom. Our spoke executive producers are Keisha TK Dutess, with Keith Reynolds and Aliyah Tavakolian. Our Headspace executive producers are Leah Sutherland with Morgan Seltzer and Sam Rogaway. Special thanks to the folks you heard from today, Ronita Roy and Balan Jalal. Hold up. 